Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. Just want to echo what has been said many times. Happy Mother's Day. Um, it's an amazing thing to see what moms go through. I... When I was young, I had no idea what my mom went through. I was just spent most of my life as a young man being annoyed and restricted by my mom, thinking, what does she know? And then I became a parent. I watched my wife, and I see what a thankless and hard thing it is to be a mom. So if you have a mom who is still with you, can be reached in person or through a phone call, can I encourage you not to just go, here's your card, and just get back to your own self-absorbed life, but really want to encourage you to make some eye contact with your mom if you can. Do something that actually communicates, I see you and I'm grateful. Um, and if that's not possible for you, then whether through some other remote communication or even just through honoring the legacy you received, lift up a prayer. Reflect on what you received, and just be grateful for moms. I want to begin this morning, if you want to flash the first slide up, I, I, I'll tell you the story why this message is what is being preached today um, in a moment. But I want to start with just a quick poll. How many of you would fall on the side of, I really am drawn to stillness, reflection, quiet, solitude, and I find the constant motion of our world, the call to be productive and get things done, I find that very distracting and challenging. How many of you are more in that camp? Just raise your hand. Stillness just draws you like, oh, a retreat by myself in the woods or on the beach. Yeah, right, right. Okay, and how many of you are like a shark, you're just always moving. Sharks die if they stop swimming, right? They, they can't sit still. And you find productivity, getting stuff done, always on the go. You find that really attractive, and you find stillness just very challenging, like you sit on your hands and you fidget. How many of you are like that? How many of you can't even be bothered to raise your hand? Yeah. Seriously pathetic, guys. Come on. I wasn't sure what I was going to preach because I'm in between series and I'm getting ready um, to launch a new series and we're going to preach on the gospel of John through the remainder of this year. It's my, I just love the gospel of John. I'll tell you a story at the start of that series about why the gospel of John was so meaningful for me at a very important time in my life. But uh, in between these series, there's a couple weeks I had to fill in and this week, I don't know if you know, but my wife has started a new part-time job teaching English to Chinese kids over the Internet. And to do that, because they're on the other side of the world, she has to schedule classes at like 5 in the morning. And I remember one morning she wasn't so quiet getting up. And I happened to rise with her, and I just remember being overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude and awe. I just how hard she works at everything. I would say that my wife is, without a doubt, the hardest working human being I personally have ever met. 
And uh, she inspires me. I, I realize why God gave me her as a wife, because when I outgrew and left my parents' home, God knew I also needed another woman who would not let me be what I want to be all the time. <laughs> I tell people often I'm a lazy man trapped in a diligent man's life. And uh, thank God for a wife who reminds me of the beauty and value of hard work. And that's, that's what I want to talk about this morning. The text for us today comes from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Here's what it says. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. I preached, actually, from this text back in 1999. How many of you weren't born in 1999? <laughs> Jeez. So I feel kind of old saying that, but I first preached Harvest from this text back in 1999. And when I did that, I shared the story that... Um, this passage came onto the radar for me when my father taped, he wrote it by hand and taped it to the headboard of my bed because it was really difficult when I was in high school to get me up in the morning for school. I just am not a morning person and I'm a very stubborn and persuasive person as well. So I could, I could buy an extra 10, 15 minutes whenever I needed to. My dad just got so frustrated with watching me slide out the door without eating breakfast at the last possible minute, and just he was tired of it. And so in his usual way, instead of yelling, he just expressed disappointment, and it pierced me like a dagger to the heart. Now, I don't know if you know, you, you know anything about my dad, but he's not a normal dude. He uses words like he used to call me a rapscallion when I was younger. You rapscallion. I'm like, what is Are you like an old-timey person? What's a rapscallion? And so he used to call me things like sluggard. That word sluggard makes you feel exactly like it's supposed to. When someone looks at you and goes, you know, you're a sluggard. No one goes, thank you. That, it just sounds that way, doesn't it? And I remember him putting that on and I was just so pierced by what it said because that's exactly me. A little more rest, a little more sleep, just a, a little more folding of the hands to rest. And I remember reading that over and over because it's the first thing I had to look at when I woke up. And it began to rouse me. This is the power of, you can call it wise, maybe passive-aggressive parenting, is to let the word of God sometimes speak louder than you. And my dad was really good at doing that. So last week, I talked about being still, and I know that that was good in a challenging and a good way for many of you. I've heard a lot of feedback about some of you really intended to clean out your garage this week, and then life happened. But I'm so grateful for the inspiration that took over your heart. And so last week was for those of us who identify with that second group of people who love to be on the move and find stillness really challenging. Like, okay, I did it. I sat and reflected for five minutes. Can I get back to work? 
And for those people, we needed to hear that challenge. And if you're one of those moving, going, doing people, then even when you think you've been still, I'll bet you, you haven't been still enough. I love when I see these people who are always moving. They go, yeah, I did it. I did this whole solitude thing for like 10 minutes. I'm ready to go. You're like, wow, even when you think you've been still, well, you don't know what still is yet. You have longer to go. There's more for you. And then there are others who are in the stillness. If I could just sit with Jesus on a beach and stare at the clouds and know I'm with God, I could stay here all day. And for those folks, we want to say that's beautiful. But at some point, you've got to rejoin the human race. And with that peace, you've got to join us in doing something. And so for those of you who, who more gravitate towards peace and stillness, even when you think you're working hard, I'll bet you you're not working hard enough. Meaning we can't hear these words with a defensive self-guarding um, or self-protecting mindset. We have to hear them with a growth mindset. That if you're the kind of person who always wants stillness, then you have to hear the challenge from the voice of God. Don't forsake the beauty of working hard. And if you're the kind of person who finds your worth in working hard, then you have to hear the challenge of God. Don't forsake the beauty and the invitation to be more still for longer than you ever thought was possible because in that place, breakthroughs will come for you. So I'm not sure which one you might be, but this morning we're looking at a text that addresses the other group than last week's sermon. For lack of a better term, it's the sluggard. Now, that's too harsh a word for some of us who like stillness and prefer peace. So don't take it as a rebuke. But the dictionary defines sluggard as a person who is habitually inactive or lazy. It's what we might call today a potato, like a couch potato. Um, My number one skill is just existing. I'm really good at it. I'm just really good at being just here. Wherever you want me, I will write there, just be there. That's what I do. And so for that person, God says in this passage, let me give you a little advice. I made these little creatures and I filled the earth with them. You can learn something from them. And he sends us to the ant. And he says, go to the ant if you're a sluggard. Because when you study the ways of the ant, you're going to learn something that is wisdom. What's interesting is there's a field of science, of biology, called biomimicry. And scientists today are realizing how much we as human beings can learn from ants. Because like it or not, we have built a world that resembles the frenetic pace of an ant colony. But we have not learned the coordinated work that keeps an ant colony functioning well. And so they're studying ants to figure out how to structure human societies now. And so they're just now catching up to what God said thousands of years ago. Look to the ant because somehow the way ants arrange their lives, there's wisdom to be found there if you look carefully. Let me draw for you a few pieces of wisdom we can learn from ants. The first is the wisdom. Boy, it really doesn't... It says the wisdom of on top, okay? But... It's the wisdom of self-motivation. Verse 7 and 8 reads like this. It says, The ant has no commander, no overseer, no ruler. 
Now, that's not entirely true. There is a, like, usually a queen ant that's ginormous, but her whole job is just to sit there and become huge and lay eggs. She's not really busy coordinating anything. So even though she's called the queen, the truth is she's just a giant baby ant factory, and that's all she does. I'm not trying to be misogynistic. I'm just saying, like, the ants don't have a, a headquarters. They don't have a general who like commands the ant army, and yet the level of coordination is unbelievable when you watch ants take something. I saw a video this week. I did some, I I went on my computer, opened up YouTube, and looked at ants collecting food, and I just marveled at the amount of ingenuity. Ants form human, not human, ant bridges, (laughs) and they literally pull each other like a rope until the piece of food makes it across a large gap. It's just amazing to watch. And they can't understand how they know to do this, how ant number 16 knows my job is to be right here. No one said you. Go over their lineup. You you don't get to pull. You have. They just do it. They just know somehow it's got to get done. And watching the ants at work is like watching a miracle of working in synchronicity. It's a dance of cooperation. And the marvel is there is no leader. They just do what needs doing. And if my part is not the part I wanted to do, that's okay. Because overall, the goal is what we all want. I will do it. Because nothing worth doing gets done without hard work in this world. That's from the very beginning of our race of humanity. Is that once food just grew in a garden... But after sin destroyed the design of God and brought corruption and challenge into this world, God said part of the consequence of sin is that things won't come easily anymore. Food won't just grow and fall out of the sky into your shopping cart. You will work for food now. I'm not sure what childbirth was like, (laughs) you know, but... It's not easy anymore, that's for sure. Amen, mothers? This is your chance to shout amen to that. You let us and the kids know all the time, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, was it? And so the idea is things just don't come anymore. They come through hardship. There's toil. Everything worthwhile in this world is produced through hard work. Even stillness isn't just sitting there. It's sitting before God with an open, intent heart. It's not even just waiting. It's an active waiting, an anticipatory waiting, a searching, listening waiting. Everything in this life is produced through work. What's amazing about the ant as an example of wisdom is that ants work without the need for others to drive their work. There is the wisdom of self-motivation. And in fact, the truth is everybody needs guidance, but at some level, maturity and wisdom is being able to direct yourself to do things that need doing without others having to be the ones to tell you to do what needs doing. That's why little children constantly need reminders all the time. But as we get older and older, I've noticed with, with great pride that 
Um, Elijah, for example, he's in high school now. He has to wake up an hour before I do, and he gets out the door. It's, I was like amazed when I wake up, and he's already gone. Like, yeah, that's my boy. He woke up by himself, got himself ready, left for school, and I didn't have to get involved. It's a joy to watch someone grow in maturity to where instead of you, like he's better than I was at his age because I don't have to type out this verse and put it on his headboard. I'd already missed him if I did that. So that's a joy for me to see. A sign of maturity and wisdom is to motivate yourself so that others don't feel this burden to always have to motivate you. As a leader, I know what a joy it is when I work with people who are self-initiating, who love to work, who have and see the value and beauty of hard work, who don't always look to make something easy for themselves, but look to make things excellent. I, I was just listening to a podcast yesterday, and this woman said, here's how you know you've got a good worker on your hands. When you ask for peanut butter, they just add the jelly. You don't have to ask. It's just like, I got you the peanut butter. I just threw in a little jelly. And so she would learn to say to her team, give me my jelly. Where's my jelly? Meaning, would you throw in that little extra because I don't, I don't just want you to be my hand puppet who does exactly what I ask. I want you to give me your very best. Show me that somewhere inside of you is a voice other than mine that guides you to do things. And as a leader, it's a joy to work with people who hear a voice other than their leaders that prompts them to action. Very often, it's the voice of God growing in our discernment. Our discernment. But there has to be from within us, as we mature and grow, a voice that says, shouldn't you do what they've been telling you to do? Now, I'm going to confess to you, I haven't fully outgrown this. You know, the marital we... That wives, we should, um, like, get rid of that tree in the backyard. We should. And you all know what we means, right? When your wife says we should, you should um, take care of that tree in the backyard. And I don't resent it. I think she says we kind of meaning, like, I wish one day you would wake up and you had a free day and just think to yourself, I'm going to do some yard work because that's the responsible thing to do. Instead of, I want to play basketball and then I'm going to play my video game and I'm going to take a nap and I'm going to eat ice cream and like all about you, 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 selfish, just how can I be happy and comfortable today? I wish just once in a while you would look at our home that we own and go, I should take care of that outside of this thing. So that our family plot does not look like the Adams family plot. The shame of the neighborhood. And I will confess to you that if my wife didn't remind us of what we have to do, I probably would never choose to do half those things. And so maturity and wisdom is shown when we can do the things that we should do without the necessity of a nagging voice outside of us constantly telling us what to do. So by that lens, let me ask you, how wise are you? How mature are you? Who likes nagging? Raise your hand if you just love that voice of nagging. Anyone? There's maybe one weirdo, right? No? Everyone hates it, don't they? Have you done your homework yet? I'm going to do it. Five minutes later. Do you start your homework yet? I said, I'm going to do it. 
Don't you hate when someone constantly nags you about the same thing? And yet what people who dislike nagging rarely pause to think about is why is that other voice even necessary? As we mature, it should stop being needed. You know, the annoyance that people express at nagging is, I know. Do you, though? Do you really know? Because I'm having to say it eight times, and you're acting like you already did it. That's how annoyed you are, and yet you ain't done it. So when you say, I know, what do you know? I know you want me to do it, is what I mean. What God says is, at some point, wisdom is seen in looking in the mirror and going, why can't I tell myself to do what others have always needed to tell me to do? Because I am growing inside. Now, just please fasten your seatbelts because Jesus is coming into this, okay? (laughs) But I want to first just be true to what the text itself is saying. And we will talk about Jesus, I promise you. And it won't just be a, a little tack on at the end. You'll understand why I'm saving it. There's the wisdom also of right priorities. It says that the ant spend their summer storing food and the fall gathering more of it to put in the warehouses. Now, I don't know about you, but um, it's easy to think ants have no personality and they enjoy just working and not having fun. The truth, and I, I'll confess to you, I used to have this picture of my wife was like, well, it's easy for her. She hates fun. She hates resting. No, it's not true. She loves fun. She really likes resting to a point. Within boundaries. But there's an ability and a wisdom to choose while hard work makes a difference. To prioritize work so that when the time of rest and play is upon us, we can actually play and rest with peace in our hearts. See, when I was a freshman in college, I had the opposite approach Whenever I had free time, I was free as a bird in the sky. I would play cards with my friends, play basketball and tennis all day because the assignments weren't due for weeks. And the exam wasn't coming for at least a month and a half. And then just days before, sometimes literally 24 hours before the exam, I would suddenly remember, I'm in college. And I would start to study. And because I was good at cramming, I would often get a decent grade. But the minute the exam was over, everything I learned fled from my brain. And in the process of getting ready for the exam, I had so much anxiety. I was teaching myself to hate school because the way I was doing school was so stupid, I was creating nothing but pain and tension. Even when I was playing, in the back of my mind was this knowledge You know, you still have stuff you got to get done. I know, but it's not urgent yet. And so I would be enjoying myself, but in the back of my mind is this little voice that whispers, you know, it's coming. It's the same way when you're out traveling and you had a budget for your vacation, but you're like, you know, we have a credit card. Let's do the parasailing. Let's upgrade our hotel room. You just swipe the card and feel so good. Oh, yeah. We are ballers. We are five-star family, man. And then you're in the back of your mind going, the bill's coming. That statement is coming, and think about how you're going to feel 
when you see that extra zero at the end of the invoice. See, when a person doesn't set right priorities, even when they're enjoying themselves, they're not really enjoying themselves because the necessity of work never just disappears. You can't just, like that bewitched, shake your nose and make all the need for work go away. We're just not there yet. I thought we would be by the year 2018 that we'd have flying cars and robots that did all our work for us and we would just be sitting around watching TV and commanding our robots to bring us peanut butter and jelly. That day hasn't come, and I don't think God will ever allow it to come. We will destroy ourselves before we get to that utopian picture of a technology-driven paradise. The necessity of work will always be there. Every year, I put up my Christmas lights way too late, and I almost get frostbite doing it. Here's why. Because as the warm weather starts to fade... Every day that you can be outside, all you want to do is just enjoy the last warm day of the year. So when it is nice out, nice enough to hang the lights, and my wife reminds me, we should get the lights put up while it's still warm. I hear that is, we should waste the last warm day of the year doing hard work. No, baby, no. I'm going to go ride a bike or do something else. I'm not going to go outside and hang Christmas lights. I could always do that later. And every year, this is how stupid I am. Every year, the same thing happens. I wait, and then it's freezing, and I go, oh, should I do Christmas lights this year? And Zoe goes, where are our Christmas lights? I'm like, hmm. So I'm out going, <laughs> so stupid. Why do I do this every year? And I'm freezing my butt off. And I think, why does this happen all the time? So I'm not preaching to you from a place of superiority going, you should work hard like me. I, I'm an idiot. I am a complete idiot. Almost complete. Semi-pro. It's because there is a window in which I can do something and my hard work will pay huge dividends. And if I miss that window, I can still work hard, but after that window closes, I will work twice as hard for half the gain. I am storing up for myself so much more unnecessary pain and burden and inconvenience because while I could have worked hard, I didn't work hard, and now I have to work hard, and all that extra work is to get only a half of the gain I could have. That's what cramming buys you. That's what procrastination buys you. There is a time to play and a time to work, and the hard part about summer is all you can think about is playing. Just look at a student on the first week of summer break. You're lucky if that student wakes up at 3 p.m. Isn't that the truth? There's nothing you're allowed to schedule for the first month of summer. Mom, don't make plans for me. I am just going to exist for a month. Leave me alone. And I get that. You've been working hard all school year for the summer. You just want no hassles. But there is a time when that hard work will still produce a future reward. And if you learn to prioritize and get some work done while the work makes a difference, your leisure and your rest will be so much richer when the hard work season has ended and your hard work is just remedial. It's repairing the damage of procrastination. I believe ants would like to enjoy the summer as much as any bug. I think ants are fun-loving. 
They're tired. They like rest. But ants also know that if you wait till winter to get serious about gathering food, guess what? You can work really hard all winter and you're just practicing. Because <laughs> there's no food to be had. It's like studying really hard after the exam. You're just getting knowledge, but your grades are already done. It's over. It doesn't matter anymore. You are just going through the motions and practicing. It's the same way I often find when I was a youth pastor, it was the same way I would see these parents who finally, after years of neglecting their kid's spiritual condition, the kid gets to high school, about to leave for college, and they go, oh my gosh, i got to get serious about my kid's faith. And they scramble so hard. They try to get their kid to everything. And you go, yeah, but right now, don't outsource it. Don't panic. you got to still do what you can because you still have them. But if you wait too long, it doesn't matter how hard you work. Everything is catch-up, isn't it? Wisdom is knowing that when I can make a difference with my hard work, I won't choose play. I won't choose rest yet. I will work while the season of working, making a difference is still in force. And then when it's time to rest, I will sleep the sleep of the innocent while my friends burn the midnight oil trying to catch up in a day to where I got in a month. Let me give you the last piece of wisdom. Wisdom is resisting the seduction of idleness. Another way to define idleness is it's the worship of comfort. The worship of comfort. How many of you need to be told that there's nothing quite as nice as a warm bed on a cold morning and nowhere to be. Isn't that just, I, whenever I have a rare Saturday where there's nothing on the calendar, I feel like I just took out an advance payment for, on, on heaven. Like I'm just, I'm laying in my bed. I'm going, I don't have to be anywhere. No one needs to be told that that feeling of comfort is intoxicating. And the thing is, very often, that feeling of comfort is a blessing and a gift from God. It's often the reward for faithfulness. It's not something to be mistrusted or looked down upon. But with anything good, when we become addicted to it, when we begin to worship it at a level beyond its due, the good gift God gives us becomes the curse of idolatry. Every idol that human beings are weak to begins as a gift that is given too much power, too much status. It takes the place of God. If you have somebody who falls in love with you, that's a gift. But when you worship them more than you worship God, you turn that gift into an idol. If God gives you a job or a home or a car or nice clothing or children or a pet or anything, that's a gift. But when you begin to prioritize that above all other things, you elevate a gift to this place of idol. And this wonderful thing starts to become your cage. Comfort is very much like that. We don't have to be convinced of the value of sleep and rest. They are so important. I, of all people, should be the first to say... Without good sleep, life is really uncomfortable. It is. I still continue to fight for better sleep. I still pray for it. I still wait for it. And without good sleep, 
life is just unnecessarily difficult and uncomfortable. And yet, at some point, the goodness of rest and the goodness of sleep can become for us something that we worship and guard above every other thing. We work only so that we can have more rest. And so what we're warned of in this text is if we take the gift of sleep and rest and begin to elevate them to the place of worship and addiction, then in that idolatry of idleness, we start to lose everything else that we value. I don't think anyone sets out to lose everything. It just happens. Very few people wake up and say, how can I take all this good stuff and blow it completely? I mean, generally, God gives us mobility, able-bodiedness, a certain level of fitness and health, and over time, life gets busy, we get a little lazy, and we think to the back of my mind, I should get busy, I should get active, I should think about that. But the longer we put it off, the longer we put it off, Nobody sets out to get to a place where it becomes nearly impossible to regain movement and health and all that. But the longer we put it off, and it's the same way with relationships. I know I should pay more attention to this relationship. I should spend more real quality time with you. But maybe later, I'm really just comfortable having time to myself. Yes, I know I have family members, but the new map pack for Call of Duty just came out. And I've been waiting for it for like three months, and I just really want to play it and have nobody bother me. Um, I know I should spend time with the family or go outside, but it's March Madness, and please just stop talking. Move out of the TV and <laughs> let me watch. And so we have this way of knowing there's, there's this moment where we could invest in something, but the comfort of just not having responsibility is so seductive, we choose that. We protect it. We guard it. And while we're doing that, so many other things we truly value slip away from us. One of the hardest things to recognize is what you let go when you weren't paying attention. What you lost while you were asleep. It's much like the stock market. You go to bed happy because your stock is at $85 a share. And to no fault of your own, you wake up in the morning... And your stock plummeted to $60 a share. And you go, I just lost a ton of money while I was sleeping. That's painful because it's not like you can even blame yourself. What happened? And yet that's what happens to so many people in the comfort of resting and sleeping and just being free of care. So much of the other stuff they truly value and prize slips out of their fingers. So far, everything I've said, I think Tony Robbins could have said. Any motivational speaker could have said all this stuff. It doesn't mean it's without value. You you know, the value of hard work is not uniquely Christian, right? Can we acknowledge that? Buddhists work hard. Atheists work hard. Serial killers work hard. Everybody works hard. Everybody knows that hard work has universal, inherent, intrinsic value. People know this. And yet, when it comes to hard work, I think there are two errors we very often fall into. 
One error is we're driven to hard work because we find our worth only in what we produce. We're driven to work hard because every time we've worked hard and produced a good result, people praised us and we find our worth in it. So slavishly, we're driven to hard work. That's one error is I got to work hard because that's when I know I'm worth something. When I win, when I make the team, when I get the A, when I have the, the good score, when I get into that school, then I'll know because everyone will praise me and I'll look in the mirror and be proud of myself and I need to. And we're driven to hard work, not because we see its inherent value, but because it's the means to the end of affirmation, of finding some worth in myself, of liking what I see staring back at me in the mirror, not feeling like a loser. And that often is given to us by others, but sometimes it just rises out of ourselves. The slavish need to work hard and produce because only then do I feel like I have worth. If that describes you, I want you to know that your hard work is still of some value, but the way you approach hard work, the way you're driven to it, is destroying your soul inside. God wants us to work hard, but he never wants us to work hard because that's how we find our worth. That isn't at all the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus says that while we were very far from God and virtually useless and repulsive to him, he looked at us with a broken heart of love and he loved us. And he said to us, you cannot work enough to have value of yourself That makes me come to you. So I will just give you that value. The value you have is because God loved you. You see, I can't walk around boastful that a woman as awesome as Jeannie married me. I can't say, look what I got. I went out to the the girl's store and I got the best one. I won. It's not like I did something. Had she not decided to love me back, It would have been a very one-sided story. In fact, it started that way. (laughs) I love you. That's nice. Four years later, she realized she loves me too. But, you know, like, it would have been a really one-sided story had she not given me the gift, the value of just loving me, not because I did enough, not because I bought enough, not because I earned enough, but just because she decided to give me her heart. I think that's the way it works with God. It's not like you're going, don't you see all that I'm doing? Can you love me now? And he goes, fine. You work very hard. Here's a little love. Now, don't get carried away. Keep working. I'll give you a little more love tomorrow. He, does, he just looks at it and says, you know what? I'm going to just love you. And I'm not going to love you partially. I'm going to love you with all the love you could ever receive. And I will ascribe to you all the value you could ever have. And I'm just going to give that to you right at the start, so that's out of the way. And from this point on, I will work with you, live with you, interact with you as one who has great value and is truly loved, so that when you work, you work because of the beauty and the joy and the gift of it, not because you have to buy something from me, which I will withhold apart from that work. If you are driven to hard work to find your worth, Jesus is your liberator and he says to you, stop being driven to hard work to get some worth. Accept the worth you've been given and work hard out of the sheer joy of being able to work hard. Of having someone to honor because so much has been given to you.
Maybe you're part of the other group, the second error, which is you're driven away from hard work because so far you've scanned the horizon far and wide and you can't find anything or anyone worth working hard for. You know, teenagers typically have a conversation killer like that renders you as a parent powerless. You say things like, you got to work hard so that someday you can have a good job and have a nice home. You go, I don't, I'm fine with just whatever. I don't need a nice car. I don't want a nice home. I don't care about a good job. I'm okay living on a park bench if I have to. Yeah, but you should want those things. I just don't. What do you got left when the core motivation for all the things you drive them to isn't enough? See, I think we so often assume that the greatest motivator for hard work is some reward or benefit. If you do this, you will get this. And what do you do then when the person goes, I don't care about getting that? You, you won't get a promotion if you don't work hard. I really love my position right now. I don't want any more responsibility. Yeah, but you should. Because how else am I going to get you to work hard? See, I don't believe that reward and benefit are the most enduring and powerful motivators over the human heart. I think people will do a lot to get a reward. They will. But I don't think anybody will give up their life to get a reward. I think people give up their lives because of love and honor. I don't believe anybody would kill themselves just to get something out of it. People kill themselves, give up their whole lives in history because they found someone or something so compelling and worthy of love and honor, it grabbed their hearts. I love my job, but I will not die in pursuit of this job. I just want to confess it to you. If this job starts to rob me of my well-being and health, I quit, man. Game over, dude. I got to spare this body and this life because there are other things besides work. But for the sake of Jesus, I hope I'd be willing to face martyrdom. For the sake of my family and the friends I love, I would be willing to lay down my life. That's just the powerful story of the human condition, is that we are wired in such a way that we would give up everything all the time when we have an object of love worthy of our hearts. When there's someone we want to honor, we will honor that person with everything that we have. If you haven't found anything worth working hard for, I'm not going to tell you that it's a good job in a middle-class life. You may not have those things or even need or want those things. That's fine with me. In fact, I think that frees you. It liberates you to a great extent. But you can't just have nothing in this world that moves your heart. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus Christ is provided to each of us as that great motivator. When a good and comfortable life doesn't move you, when glory and trophies don't move you, what can move you still is the desire to honor the one who loves you. I still hold out this thought in my head that if I tell my kids, you know, if you work hard, you can have a Tesla. Daddy can't afford it. I'll never. But if you work hard, you could get one someday and I could drive it. 
the only way I'm going to experience that, okay? So I could tell them that, and I like to think my kids go, yeah, but dad, you know, Tesla's your thing. I don't really care. But I like to think if I said to them, you know what, though? I want you to work hard because I just had such hopes and vision for you, and I'm so proud of you, and it would honor me a great deal if you gave your very best to this. Would you be willing to work really hard at this as a way of honoring me? I would like to think <laughs> that that would at least change the complexion of the question a little bit. Like, oh, if you put it like that, Dad, geez. Um, yeah, I guess I would because you're an awesome dad. Do you like how I turn Mother's Day into Dad's Day? <laughs> and I would do this for you. See, I, I feel like that. I feel like that's the way it should work. It's that we shouldn't just be driven to hard work to get our worth, but also, if you're that person who just can't find anything worth working hard for, I want you to know that in Jesus Christ is that person. There have been days when I wanted to fold, throw in the towel, just fold it all up and say, I quit. Why would anyone do this for a living? It's a crazy way to make money. And then I remember Jesus in the summer of 1984 and the way that he saved me. In August of 1984, for the first time in my life, I understood the real meaning of the word wretch in the song Amazing Grace. And I knew that's what I was. And yet, he loved me. For me, it always comes back to that. Always. There's no other day that matters more to me in my life. The emotions of that day are forever buried deep in my heart. And when nothing else can hold me, when people say, but you've got 23 years invested, sunk cost, there's hope, hundreds of people, that's not enough. I like to think it could be, but honestly, in my heart of hearts, it's not enough. When the pain gets heavy enough, hard enough, anyone will quit on anything, but then it's that day, and it's that person, it's Jesus who actually revealed himself to me, found me, rescued me, loved me when I was so hard to love. That is always the anchor for my heart. And that's what it can be for you. If you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, ask him to bring you into such a relationship. He will show you in that moment a depth of love so moving and profound, it will carry you every single day of your life. When nothing else works to motivate you, he will move your heart. The love of Jesus, fully received and understood, is a permanent mark on the human, human being. There is no other motive more powerful than that. And if when you hear me talk about Jesus, that is not the kind of relationship you have had with him, that's not your experience, then it can be. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. It's not a gift given to a few secret people, but a gift extended to everyone who would have it. Every time, I've wanted to not do these things anymore. It has always been that day in August of 1984. And the person of Jesus revealed to me, that is who has anchored me 
every step of the way. And when I don't know why I want to work anymore, I remember who I serve and who I hope the sum total of my life's work honors. If you are struggling with that second thing, and you're like, people keep telling me, work hard, have purpose-driven, whatever, and you go, I just looked around, there's nothing that makes me want to give a crud. I just don't care. I, I don't mind having some fun. I want to be comfortable. I haven't found anything that makes me want to give my life to it. I want to encourage you to really look at Jesus. such a churchy thing to say. But we say it because it's the truest thing we can say. And if you have been there and if that's where you live, you can say with me, amen. You understand that when all other motives fail, the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ for you is an enduring motivation for your heart. I want to honor everyone in this room who sees and pursues and embraces the beauty of hard work. But I want you to know that because we follow Jesus, there is no value to hard work apart from the right relationship with him. And apart from Jesus, one of these two errors will be the reason you work hard. And hard work will begin to rob you of your life. But with Jesus firmly seated at the head of your life, Hard work will take on a whole new kind of beauty. You will find joy in it. And it will, pr- it will produce things that are amazing in your life. My hope is that everyone in this church will know Jesus that way. And for the rest of our lives together, we won't have to spend our energy persuading one another to get out of bed but we will work together, giving our best to the God who is worthy. I want to invite you to just pause and let's just uh, respond in our hearts now. And I'm going to invite you, if you're a little tired or a little distracted, to just give the last two minutes of this time together, um, really to give your best effort to connect, engage. It's pretty hard to survive in this world without working hard, but hard work is a gift. It's not just a survival mechanism. It's one of the great gifts God gave us, a gift of dignity, of purpose, It's a way we have of not coming empty-handed to the one we most want to honor. If you know someone who's a billionaire, it's hard to buy them a birthday gift because they have everything you could buy, but what they can't buy is an act of devotion, the gift of honor. What do you bring to God that he needs from your hand? The thing we bring to God 
the gift of hard work, of devotional worship, our openness. And we say to him with every way he's given, I use this gift to honor you. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that he's given me a way to show him how I feel. If you want to know Jesus this way, it begins simply with a prayer. I don't know you the way he's describing, but I would like to. I don't think I've met you that way, but I'm open. So it just begins with a simple prayer. Will you enter my life this way? Will you give me that kind of relationship with you? I don't want to just come to church anymore. I want to know you. I want to see you this way. And that simple act of praying for it moves the heart of God and He begins doing things, setting things in motion. And you may be very surprised what happens in the coming week in your own heart if you pray that with an honest heart. I want to just pause a moment and in your own words, in your own way, just talk back to God. Listen for God. Let's respond to Him. And we'll close with the song. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you'd like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.